Our Father, we are again gathered here. It's a beautiful day in the Lord, and whatever our weather might be like outside uh, or even inside, uh, whatever we may find here, locally, Father, we know where we stand with you, and that is uh, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that's overwhelming, powerful, uh, and transforming. And I thank you, Father, that we have uh, an eternal hope through that precious grace, because everything is based upon the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself and died for our sins and paid the full penalty for them. Every sin, past, present, future, took away the barrier between uh, the sinner and you, Father, if, if only one would, of course, turn to the Lord, turn to you in saving faith. And so, Father, thank you so much for the blindness that's been removed uh, and uh, gathering us together, therefore, uh, in fellowship with you. Father, I, I do lift up our our uh, present and uh, those that serve with them. We live in complex times. The days are dark. The days are evil. Our nation can be a shining light in the world, if only many uh, things are accomplished. So, Father, I just pray that you would uh, continue to encourage our president and those that stand with him, those that serve with him uh, there, also in uh, the other areas of government, which may either be a hindrance or a help in the, the management of our affairs as a people, as a nation. Father, apart from your work in the hearts of our people, though, this can never be uh, successful. So, uh, Father, I just pray that you would continue to work in the hearts of our people to uh, guide and lead and to dispel and to thwart the work of the enemy, which is on every side, it seems. Uh, so, Father, we would just uh, call out to you again that you would defeat the enemy in his designs, if that would be your perfect will. And whatever, Father, whatever our circumstances may be in this country uh, or in our private lives, Father, I pray that, that we would rest and trust in you. Father, I pray that you'd open the word now for us as we look into this precious revelation by the Apostle Paul. May our spirits be touched by it and uh, enlivened, and may we be encouraged as we open your word today. And I would thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today, I consider it a special privilege to open the word for you. And I, I pray that as I do so, uh, there would be an encouragement of a special kind that comes to you, because what Paul is revealing here in his letters and certainly here in Philippians, but we're going to look beyond Philippians today uh, to get the whole background and context. But uh, what he reveals is designed to give us understanding and also through that confidence, faith, and uh, then a special rest as we rest in him and his great work under the fullness of grace. And uh, I'm just uh, incredibly uh, blessed to be uh, in this position to open the scripture for you today. I pray that you would catch a, a real glimpse of uh, what Paul 
was called upon to reveal to the saints of God uh, regarding the full working of the grace of God in this dispensation of the grace of God. And, uh, and there are things revealed there that are often missed. And uh, I went to what I thought was one of the best seminaries, but most of what I'm sharing with you today was not taught there. Uh, and it was simply missed. And uh, that's uh, uh, such a sad thing. So I know that there's very little teaching of this, and yet it's very clearly revealed in uh, Paul's letters, very clearly revealed. We'll be looking at major themes uh, of the Apostle Paul that he's written there today, major themes that are often missed simply because uh, of false uh, understandings or misconceptions or assumptions that are made about what Paul must be writing about when really he's writing about something entirely different. <clears throat> I'm going to read our scripture today and then we'll proceed. I just want you to have the context here of this whole section uh, all at the beginning here. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in that great verse, verse number 8. Um, and we'll start there a little later. Roy will be reading this later. But right now I want to read... Verses 8 through 19. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel." What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessed uh, passage of Scripture this is. The apostle, in spite of all of his circumstances, is rejoicing in the work of the Lord. He's imprisoned. He's in bonds, but nevertheless rejoicing. He hasn't for a moment stopped seeing God at work in his life. And he knows, he has great hope and knows that this will continue, right? 
and he knows how and why it will continue, and that's what I want to look at uh, today. He has said earlier, of course, that he that hath begun this good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the strong implication is that not only is Paul a great servant of the Lord, not only does he have that testimony which uh, we often uh, pray for and uh, hope for in ourselves, right? Uh, but it is a reality and maybe a reality for us too. It's not just simply that Paul was this great saint that stands far beyond and above everyone else who has ever lived. No, uh, we may all be like Paul in these critical areas. Yes, he was an apostle. We're not, right? That certainly makes a big difference. The revelation of God was given to him, the word of God, right? which he wrote in these inspired letters, but that's uh, just one part of it. Mostly what Paul's writing about here is something that we also may uh, fully enjoy. So that's the clear teaching of Scripture as I intend to show it to you today. Verse 19 explains it all so that our understanding might be uh, blessed too. Not only may we experience these things, but we may understand them, too, as part of God's perfect plan. Uh, there's a special empowering, he says in verse 19, that enables him to endure all things for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And, and this is the very central theme of the Apostle Paul. It's very central. And today, all we can do is just barely break into it. I'm in the notes, uh, the handout notes that you'll find on libertymessenger.org a little later today. I've made a long list of verses where this teaching is found. We can only look at a few of them today in the limited time we have. I've chosen out the ones that I think are most essential for our understanding today. But the rest are listed there. But even that list is far from complete. On every page uh, in Paul's letters, we see reflected this special empowering, this special dynamic, this special work of the Lord God today in each of us. And here Paul just summarizes it with those words, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, why is this largely missed by commentators? because of their view of the Trinitarian doctrine, which is rather limited and in some ways, I think, incorrect. Yes, Trinitarian is our view, too. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, equal members of the Trinity, equal persons. But they have special ministries in us, and I think sorting that out is really what Paul is doing uh, for us here in his letters. Uh I mean, if we were reading in the Old Testament, we would hardly know anything about what the Holy Spirit does, for example, right? You can read in the New Testament and see that the Holy Spirit grants many gifts. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, we saw that, right? Special gifts of the Spirit, right? Uh, many of those we don't have today. Others, uh, other work of the Spirit is still ongoing, right? Uh, but there's the person of the Son of God, having been raised from the dead and uh, 
and his life being shed abroad and uh, we coming to possess that at the moment of salvation. That's the part that's often missed, the the uh, the ongoing dynamic and power of the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ in each of us. And, and this is not heresy I'm speaking. This is reality. This is truth. And Paul makes such a focus of it, and yet it's often missed because it's assumed that Christ is up there, out there, up there at the right hand of God. There can be no presence personally of him in our lives, therefore. That's totally false. Uh, and uh, we'll see that today as we look at Scripture carefully. So all of these blessings are most important to understand and to enjoy. And may we learn of them and enjoy them always. Well, we looked last time at uh, the earlier verses. I don't want to spend much time on them now. Uh, just remember, it's made very clear in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1 that uh, there is a work that's ongoing in each of us. And that work is, uh, he says here, a good work <laughs> of the Lord. It says he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's true of every believer, not only of a few apostles. No, every believer. So Paul wrote of a beginning and, and, and the end there. <laughs> the beginning is the moment of salvation. <clears throat> the end is, he says, the day of Jesus Christ. So that work continues. It's the work of God, and it's a precious and blessed thing. And we're learning more about it uh, here today, I, I trust. Um, he also wrote there about his great concern for the saints in Philippi, and that's what enabled him to introduce the subject that we're looking at today. Remember, he used the word heart. He said, in effect there, I have a great heart for you, saints in Philippi, right? My heart is extended to you. He says, I have you in my heart. Okay. Um, and then in verse 8, uh, where we want to really begin now, he says, I greatly long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And we saw much last time about what that means. And uh, now, to start out with, then I'd like Roy to read. But our first point here is that the apostles' unique concern for the Philippians was, as he puts it there, in the very heart of Jesus Christ. It wasn't only his heart as sort of a private, uh, uh, subjective kind of thing, a feeling, as it were, not really that critical, might vary greater or lesser, depending upon the person involved. It might be pure and pure. No, not that at all. He's saying here, my concern for the Philippians was in the bowels of Jesus Christ, meaning in his very heart indeed, the heart of the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's what Paul's saying here. Okay, Roy, please read that great verse for us again there, Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you, Roy. Okay. Um, we saw last time how when this word bowels is used, it's talking about the innermost part of the person, uh, the seat of in the person, the, the seat of uh, these special, really deep feelings that uh, are so deep they can't even necessarily be communicated in human language, right? And there are 10 places, and I gave the list of those uh, on the website last week in the, in the handout, but the 10 verses of all of them, only one of them uses this word heart in a physical sense. Uh, in every other case, it's used uh, of spiritual matters, right? Uh, so the, the spiritual uh, outreaching of a person from the depth of their being for another person, that's what's being referred to. And uh, it's called the heart, <laughs> right? That seat of that kind of response in a person for another uh, at the prompting and empowering of God. That That is called the heart in Scripture. And uh, it's called, uh, use, and, and this word here is used, bowels, for that. Also the word mercies, right? Uh, so that's the way the word is used, and that's the intention here in Philippians 1.8. Um, but he says it's the heart of the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's the special thing here uh, that we need to take note of. Uh, now, you you can say to me, or I could say to you, this is way beyond my understanding, right? <laughs> yes, it is, unless the Lord gives you his understanding, right, of what is being communicated here. Um, now, the, what the Apostle Paul was doing, in addition to using these wonderful words, <laughs> he was communicating truth, right? In fact, he was even reflecting it because this is all part of his testimony. Okay? <laughs> and what was Paul uh, in the midst of the people? He was the testimony of the work of Christ under grace, right? So he was reflecting, he was reflecting Christ's inner feelings for the believers through himself, okay? So uh, Christ's inner feelings had become his own in some real sense, and he was reflecting that to others. And here, in these wonderful words of Scripture, he is doing the same. He's reflecting. There are other ways that Paul expresses this, uh, and there are many. remember, I've just said a moment ago, this is a major theme of his letters. For example, when he talks about the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as can be seen in him, and we would hope in us, right? He's talking about the very, very same thing, right? This is a major, major theme in Paul's letters. And what that means is that there are so many scriptures that deal with this at any given point in time in any teaching, we can only look at a few, and that's what we're doing here today. But by looking at those few, then God teaches us through his word and communicates through this special word of truth uh, the reality of what's being expressed. So that's the value of 
us coming to this word, taking it in as spiritual food day by day. The truth is communicated to our spirits through that very word and its power. Okay, now let's look and at the saints. So we saw that introduction. Paul is writing about himself, having a very heart, even the very heart of Christ for, for the believers in Philippi. And now let's look at the lives of the saints, and that'll be our main focus today, the lives of the saints. That means you and me may also be the very spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay. Sounds strange in language, but that's the language Paul uses, as we uh, we have seen. I'm going to reread what Roy just read, because it's the proper foundation for the next verse we want to look at, that I'll have Lisa read for us in a moment. Again, Philippians 1.8, God is my record. So he, he is highlighting this. This is very special. He says, don't miss this for a moment. This is my testimony. The Lord God is my testimony. It's like saying, Lord God, strike me dead if I'm not speaking truth here, right? For God is my record how greatly I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Lisa, please read verse 19, which uh, turns this around uh, and starts to uh, explain it because it, it speaks to the very empowering of God through Paul. It was not Paul's being a strong person. It was the empowering of God. And in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ through Paul that he's referring to here. Philippians 1.19, Lisa. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay, very, very uh, important and special words here. The supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The reason why the commentators miss this whole teaching is that they just assume it's the Holy Spirit everywhere doing this and not jesus christ himself and so they miss this teaching entirely i mean in seminary i pointed this out i i saw in some of this truth even while i was in seminary not a lot of it but some of it right i wrote a paper on the subject and my professor wrote red marks all over it denying uh, what's actually written here saying no this was the holy spirit not uh, the Son of God. Uh, <clears throat> okay, but what does Paul say here? He says, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, we may find that to be so difficult to understand, and if we do, I think it's because we have made certain presuppositions uh, previously, maybe through what we've been taught, maybe through uh, other means, but uh, what it says here is that it is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How can the Spirit of Jesus Christ then be so intimately involved in our lives? How can that be, right? And Paul is going to explain it for us. And uh, he's going to do that uh, in a number of ways and in a number of different letters. But one of the key teachings is in Romans chapter 8. I'd like Sarah, Sarah, if you'd read for us Romans chapter 8, verses 
But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But as the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, now here we have both the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit referred to. They're both involved. In fact, they both indwell each of us who know Christ as Savior, both the Holy Spirit of God and uh, and, and the uh, Spirit of Christ indwell us. Uh, well, also the Father indwells us. We won't go into that today. But all three persons of the Trinity indwell the believer today. They shall never leave us uh, because they indwell us. It's a permanent uh, gift. Okay, and that's unique for this current dispensation of the grace of God. So what Paul is doing here is explaining. He says very explicitly here, um, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. Okay. Okay. And then he says, if Christ be in you. Okay. So Paul is writing here about Christ being in us. And he says, to explain that a bit, he says it is the spirit of Christ that is in you. And he's saying here in Romans 8 how big a difference that makes. It makes all the difference in the world. Because what he has done is to share himself with us in this very, very special way. Now, there are many places where Paul writes about this. But as I said today, we'll just look at a few of those, the ones that are most critical for our understanding and the next one I'd like to look at, because it, it really uh, uh, explains it so fully as to how it can be that Christ is in us today, right? Uh, Charlie, would you please read for that, uh, read that for us, rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Okay, so when Christ was raised from the dead, he was, it says here, the last Adam. Okay, uh, I won't go into uh, all the uh, interesting uh, consequences of that. <laughs> but um, it says he was made a quickening spirit. Okay, that's King James English for a life-giving spirit. So, Christ was raised from the dead as a spiritual being. Okay, he had a body, but he also had a spiritual body. And it was that spiritual body which then enabled him to be worked into us, to be shed abroad into our spirits. Okay, it was that spiritual resurrection quality of living that he now possessed and could share, okay? Before the resurrection, this could never have occurred, okay? Uh, but uh, after the resurrection, it could occur, and it did uh, and does for us, okay? Now, in 1 Corinthians 6.17, uh, it says, He that is joined unto the Lord is 
one spirit. <laughs> okay, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So uh, just to underscore what was written there in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, uh, Christ was raised a life-giving spirit, and that spirit has now been shared with you and with me, beginning at the moment of salvation. Okay. Now, there are many dimensions to this work. There are many consequences of Christ sharing his life, his spiritual life with us. Many consequences, right? And Paul, in his letters, highlights what those are. If you just go looking for it. And uh, one of the major uh, verses that states that is, in fact, coming right up. We'll get to Philippians chapter 2 shortly, but uh, in Philippians 2.1, which I'd like Linda to read for us, we see it explicitly stated that it is this this Christ has come to dwell within us who has provided these blessings. So, uh, Linda, please read Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Okay, yeah, and then he goes on, but uh, th- those very those very words there were the ones I wanted you to see. They show a, a listing of the v- many dimensions of Christ's work in us through his Spirit. Uh, if there's any consolation in Christ, okay, if any comfort of love, remember uh, we looked last time at a verse that mentioned the love uh, from from um, Romans chapter 5, I believe it was, right? Uh, if any fellowship of the Spirit, see, we're already assuming that's the Holy Spirit, no, it is the Spirit of Christ in the context here that he's talking about. Philippians 2.1 follows right after Philippians 1.19 and 1.8, right? He's talking about fellowship in our spirits where the presence, the personal presence of the Lord Jesus as a resurrected life is present and at work, okay? And then he says, if any bowels, there's that word again, right? It becomes a key word for the apostle to talk about the work of uh, Christ under grace in the depths of our hearts, right? If any bowels and mercies, okay? So here we see the many dimensions of Christ's work in us. And if only we had time to look at many more, but what I'd like to do is just look at a couple and uh, we'll leave the rest of the study for you as you uh, take the notes and uh, do your independent work there uh, in the word of the living God, right? I've given you quite a few verses to study there in the notes. But there are a couple (laughs) that are appropriate for ending with today. And one of the greatest, maybe it is the very, very greatest of all in a certain way. And Patty loves to (laughs) read it, so we'll have her do that. Uh, In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and note what he says about Christ, about our life, and about where we stand now as uh, the saints of God today, as members of his body. Patty, would you please read that for us? 
If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Amen. See, that summarizes the whole uh, message of the Apostle, right? Christ, who is our life. He says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When we were baptized by the Spirit into Christ, we were baptized into his death, into his burial, and into his resurrection. Okay, That means there's an intimate association now between them. We've been drawn into his death so that we might be drawn into his life. Okay, So he says, the life that we now live on this earth, see it? It's not a physical thing. It's not an emotional, psychological thing. As humans, we have all of those things, right? It's all part of the soul, right? Uh, <clears throat> which stands between the body and the spirit, the soul, okay? But what Paul's writing about here is spiritual, right? He says, when Christ who is our life, in other words, the we possess, what, what is it called? Eternal life, right? <laughs> that is the life, the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not as if we're dead down here and we're going to be alive someday after we go to heaven. That's what religionists think. That's not what Paul teaches in these verses. You are already alive because the very Christ dwells within you. It can't be otherwise than that his life is ours. In other words, what an incredible gift, right? If only we would comprehend this fully. Take it to heart. Let the, let the truth transform us, right? We'd go through the day above the challenges of the day in many respects, where now we often are overwhelmed by them, okay? Paul could have been overwhelmed by his imprisonment, but he wasn't. Why not? He says it was because of these very uh, realities that he had come to know, that he was living the life of Christ right there in the prison, and the witness of Christ through him was evident even in Caesar's household. That means there were centurions or other guards who had come to know Christ. It means that there were members of Caesar's household who had come to know Christ. That means his family. Was God at work in Rome? He certainly was. How was he at work? Through a prisoner, right? <laughs> How is he at work today? Is it through you? Through me it is. He says so in these verses, right? So what we've seen is that Paul has this very special concern for the believers in Philippi, and he's able to speak in inspired words regarding this and says it is the very heart of Jesus Christ that I'm sharing with you. The very same, okay? Because his heart is now shared. We're members of the body. He said it at the right hand of God the Father, but there's a very personal presence and work of him in us today. And that's called 
uh, here, uh, his heart, right? So this has changed the lives of the saints. It is the very spirit of Jesus Christ. When he was raised from the dead, he was raised a life-giving spirit and has come to dwell in each of us. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Therefore, he's not talking about some special blessing that some believers have and others don't. No, he's not talking about Christian maturity there as opposed to carnality. No, he's talking about all of us. All of us who know Christ have Christ dwelling in us. And that dynamic, empowered by God himself, the very resurrection power. I mean, there's no greater power at work today and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, right? So that great power is at work in you and me. It's just a fact. Don't doubt it. Don't ask God for more or less of it. Well, not less. I mean, there's so many teaching today that, oh, you need to become more and more like Jesus. And they go to the gospel accounts to for that. But in the gospel accounts, Jesus is working miracles on every side, right? I mean, he, he sees into the hearts of people. He knows what they're thinking. Uh, he he does things that none of us could ever do, right? We don't have that empowering today. We have a different empowering that's consistent with the abundance of his grace in every way. Okay, so uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. I hope I've uh, given you a glimpse of, of what Paul has written here in this regard today. There's so much more there in his letters, but what we've seen is that great blessings have been poured out upon us uh, through Jesus Christ, right? And uh, every one of us, therefore, have been uh, put directly into the realm of this great work of God under grace. We saw how the empowering of God was through the intimate presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in each of us. We've seen how that's explained as, well, it is the very indwelling person and life of our resurrected Lord Jesus. He was raised from the dead, a life-giving spirit, and he's come to dwell in each of us. And then we've seen that there are many dimensions of this blessing, right? Comfort, comfort, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, right? love. Uh, doesn't that change our perspective, right? And that makes us a vessel, an instrument for the for this comfort. When God has comforted you, you have that comfort to share with another. That's all part of this teaching. You receive the love of God. You have it to share with others. That's all part of this teaching. Um, and it's fellowship directly with his spirit as well, right? even bowels and mercies, okay? Now, all of this is part of what has been granted to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I want to read two verses to conclude today, uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> if we had the time. And we certainly will be coming back to these later. There's no question about it as we go through Paul's letter to the Philippians, verse by verse. But... In chapter 3 of Philippians, verse number 10, we read Paul, what's on Paul's heart. 
he's sharing, he's opening his heart to the Philippians. He says, his goal in life is, quote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So knowing the power of his resurrection requires knowing of his suffering intimately and being conformed, he says, unto his death. That's all part of what God is doing today in your life, right? And Paul says, that's happening to me and I want to know even more. I want to know even more about Christ day by day, hour by hour, right? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, he writes of the same thing. For we which live, and he's not talking about physical life there, is he? We which live an abundant life, we which live are always delivered over unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So when we go through trials in life, we're supposed to know that this is all part of bringing life out of death, okay? The very resurrected life of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. And his love is right in the center of that, okay? So we, therefore... Those who are weak as earthen vessels are in the very position God wants us to be, to share, to reflect the glories of his grace. That's the teaching of the Apostle Paul in his letters. Let's not miss it. Let's <laughs> take it to heart, right? And praise the Lord for it. It certainly changes everything that we may have ever learned about what it means to be a Christian, right? It's not true that God's out there, we're down here. If we can just be more godly, everything will be fine. That's not the way God's working today. He is right here with us, indwelling us, and his power is present with us as well. If only we would grasp onto it and live it out. That's really... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to see, right? So, may the Lord God and his Son, Jesus Christ, be thereby glorified always, right? Amen. Well, any uh, comments uh, before we close today or questions? Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, I have a question. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And Charlie was reading the First Corinthians fifteen forty-five. He was talking about the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Yes. What does it mean by last Adam? So does it have anything to do with the creation? Because Adam was made by God, and Christ was begotten by God. So in between, all mankind was were really born. You know, the offspring of Adam made of man, not really yeah. made of God. Yeah. Is that what Paul tried to say here? Uh, well, I mean, he, he, yes, except that 
I mean, you know, from Romans chapter 5, where he's writing about the same thing, he's writing about the headship of Christ, right? When when Christ was uh, raised from the dead, gloriously, he had paid the penalty for all sins, and he was now heading up the new creation, right? Well, Adam okay. headed up the old creation. So he was the first, okay? And yep. he headed up the old creation, but but uh, the new creation is headed up by Christ, right? And he so he's the last Adam in that sense. Eschatologically, he fulfills the the idea of Adam. Ad, when Adam was created, there was no sin, sin yet in this world uh, apart from Satan and his demons, right? But but Adam himself was created without a taint of sin at all, as was Eve, right? <clears throat> right. Uh, but things went astray immediately, of course, as he turned against the Lord. And so then he headed up the fallen creation. And, and the mark of that was even on the rest of the, of the creation, right? Even on the earth in every sense. So there was the mark of Adam's sin upon everything from then yeah. on. But this is all now uh, being changed uh, in time. But spiritually speaking, we have the benefits of the last Adam. Right. It's just uh, the two verses later, uh, verse 47, you're talking about the first man is of the earth, earthly, then mm. the second man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So this verse seemed to resonate with the two verses earlier, talking about the last Adam. So essentially, it's talking about two Adams, right? One is the first, the second one is the last. <laughs> Yes, and the first Adam carried the whole creation with him in his rebellion. The last Adam will carry us all into glory, right? Yep. <clears throat> Amen. That's the that's the uh, what's called the federal headship of Christ, <clears throat> as Adam's headship was federal over the entire creation previously. Ro- Romans five is all about that. <clears throat> Okay, that's the doctrine, the teaching regarding this there. Okay, any other questions or comments? Okay. Well, then let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this teaching. May we take it to heart. May our spirits be enlivened by it. May our hope be increased. <clears throat> May we, we be strengthened daily, hourly, moment by moment in Christ through his presence, his love, his grace, and his very life that uh, has that kindled, kindled our spirits in such a profound way. And so we are being transformed day by day by his life. Thank you so much for that. What a blessing. May we rest in the truth of it and see you uh, ever more clearly, therefore, at work in our lives. And we would ask this in Christ's name and amen. Well.